Welcome into episode 23 of the Sources Say podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio, and today we are going to do things a little bit differently than usual. Um, So I am down in South Carolina getting ready to see the Cats take on the Gamecocks in Columbia. Well, I am not in Columbia. I'm actually at my grandmother's house in Simpsonville, South Carolina, about an hour away from Columbia. Um, And I have a new partner with me tonight. That is Zach, my my, uh, trusty sidekick at KSR. Um, he is, uh, kind of, you know, focuses a little bit more on the Kentucky women's basketball side of things, but he is a do it all kind of guy. Um, I have him here with me and, uh, we, um, so with a little, a few little scheduling conflict issues type things, I am going to bring on individual segments with Travis and David, our usual co-hosts, uh, and we're going to talk exclusively about, the uh, about Greg Brown and his big visit to Kentucky this weekend. Um, but first, I'm going to have my trusty sidekick Zach on. First, Zach, how are you doing today, buddy? Uh, nervous to be here, Jack. Are you nervous? So, is this is this your my first? My palms are sweaty. Palm like mom are weak. Mom spaghetti. But I'm here. I'm ready. You're here. Are you ready? Um, so he is a basketball aficionado. He lives, breathes, eats, sleeps, drinks basketball. Um, on on the ro- road down here, he was telling me about how he has three TVs set up in his place, and he watches NBA basketball religiously. Uh, big. He is the uh, number one, the the number one Ryan Howard fan uh, on on planet Earth. He is Zach Gagan. Gagan, did I get it? So he he spells his name like G E O G H E. I guarantee there's a lot of people out there that are just now hearing my last name for the very first time. Yes, yeah, it's I I very I struggle with his last name, so that's why I introduced him as Zach, and I and I'm very glad that I got it right on the first first effort. So, um, we are going to talk exclusively about Greg Brown, his visit, Kentucky's chances, all of that good stuff. With Travis and David, and, and in fact, we're going to talk a little bit. Um, Zach, Zach, and I are going to talk more so about Kentucky and their chance and and their chances in, down in Columbia and kind of the season as a whole. It's going to be a, a, the season talk right now with Zach to start things off. Then I'm going to kind of transition into my own little uh, segment about Greg Brown and my thoughts. And then we're going to transition straight into our interviews. Well, you know, not interviews because they're, they're technically co-hosts of the show, but they're going to, you know, Travis is going to come on first. Then we're going to have David on uh, and, and talk about their, their latest with Greg Brown. It's going to be one heck of a time. We're going to have fun. We are glad that you're here Zach, nervous with his palm sweaty, arm spaghetti, mom spaghetti, however that song goes. Uh, they, he, he's excited to be here. It's going to be a fun show. So first, Kentucky versus South Carolina. It's been a very, very uh, um, successful last three games for Kentucky, you could say. Um, you know, after their little uh, slump down in, out in Las Vegas, they've kind of turned things around a little bit. Zach, first and foremost, what has worked well for the Kentucky basketball program? And uh, who, who have been the shining guys? Who have been the guys that you think need to kind of step it up a little bit? What are your overall takeaways right now? Oh, goodness. Um, 
Let's see. Let's start with the last two games because okay. they've actually looked like a very competent basketball team for longer than two or three stretches, two or three minute stretches at a time, which is it feels like it usually takes till about mid February before we see something like that. So yep. it was cool to see that in the early SEC play. Um, obviously, you know, guys like IQ and Nick Richards have been stepping their game up lately. That's been huge. Um, I'm a really big fan of Quickly. I think I've told you this before. Yeah, heck yeah. I'm a big Quickly guy. I'm, I'm glad to see him finally coming uh, coming along. He's a, I'm a big NBA believer in him. I think he's really going to have a good career once he gets to that level. Um, but him as a shooter has really surprised me, uh, especially the last few games. And I know uh, I think Maggie did something yesterday uh, about uh, he's been learning from Tyler. Uh, Tyler here learning yeah. about how to shoot from him and stuff like that. Uh, so that's I've been really I've loved to hear all that stuff. Uh, obviously, I think a little bit more ahead, you know, a couple of years down the road yeah. for these guys. But they've been playing really well the last uh, last couple of games, and it's it feels like it usually doesn't take this or it usually takes longer for them to get in this kind of groove. Uh, so I'm really excited with how they're doing now. Uh, I really think the South Carolina game is going to be an easy win. Easy. An easy win. Easy. Am I allowed to say that? Man, sure. It's it's. This is your time to shine. You can say whatever. You can say whatever you want. You Ryan Howard is the goat. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's very true. Um, you're the NBA guy. You are our resident NBA um, fan. You know, expert. You know everything that there is to know about the NBA style of play and all of that. Why are you so confident that Emmanuel quickly will be able to Ooh. transition that? Because. I, for one, see him as a as a fantastic contributor at the college level, but you know I see things like his size leaves a lot to be desired at the NBA level. Guys, you know, short guys. He's not short, but you get what I'm saying. Guys of his stature, a lot of those guys have failed in the NBA. They've been G leaguer, you know, G league guys for life. What, you know, why why the confidence in, in IQ long term? Um, well, I think part of it is has to do with uh, three-point shooting coming along. That's definitely a huge uh, a huge factor, too. I thought that was going to eventually come along just because he showed signs that he would be a good shooter. Um, but I think I initially said when I t was hyping up IQ months ago was uh, that I thought he'd be a better pro player than Hagen's yeah. Ashton would. And uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, just how he would get used um, in the NBA, and I think you're seeing it in the last couple games at the college level where – you know when he's running around screens and popping open, he can he can get his own shot if he needs to. But he's shown an ability to be an elite catch and shoot guy, and that's really what can make him a good NBA player. And he's obviously he's very fast. He can get up and down the court quick. He's got uh, quick, 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 quickly, <laughs> quickly. <laughs> uh, he's really good at finishing. He can well he can finish if he wants to. Um, and I feel like you know the last couple of games he's had that stroke that's really been uh, vibing with him. So. Those are some things that I really think uh, helps him in the NBA. And I also think with Cal guys, it's just – I mean, you saw it with Tyler last year, um, and it's just been happening for years now, you know, so with Devin Booker as well, uh, where these guys, you know, quickly is a little bit different because he's not nearly as uh, good of a shooter as them. But even, like, you know, guys like Malik Monk, they kind of played uh, – he would play a similar role as with uh, that they play in the, at the NBA level. Um And, you know, those weren't guys that were initially seen as, you know, star players. Yeah. I'm not just saying – uh, that quickly will be a star, but I think that he has, you know, he's got, he can dribble, he can shoot. Um, I'd like to see him play uh, defense at a higher level. I already think he's probably a better defender than guys like Tyler, Tyler Hero, and uh, even Devin Booker, honestly, right yeah. now. Um, but it, obviously the offense is a little bit behind, but, you know, give him a, 
I don't know if he needs – I don't think he needs another year here. I think he could probably just go on and uh, he could probably sneak himself into the second round or something, you know, maybe stick around with the G League team and make his way into the league pretty quick. Uh, but, you know, with, I don't even think he's on the draft boards right now. Yeah, he's he's not. Um, uh, one thing I will say is I believe Coach Cal compared him specifically to Jamal Murray in a recent – uh, it might have been his call-in show, um, just in terms of the catch-and-shoot ability, just just the fact that he is having that. When you see Emmanuel quickly go up with with a shot, you we're getting to the point where you expect it to fall. I mean, I the think last he's couple games. I think he's eight of his ni- of his last nine. And I yeah. think over his last six games, I want to say he's like sixty percent something. I mean, I I mean something it, something when absurd. You watch him, he doesn't feel like he's gonna miss. It's effortless. I mean, the, it's to the point where he he even said after this last game, he said, uh, be careful, don't touch me. You you might light on fire. Yeah. Something something like that. He is he's his swag. His swagger is growing. His confidence is growing. Uh and and that's what you want to see out of a sophomore guy. I think Calipari said on his radio show on Monday, um, he said the reason why Emmanuel quickly is who he is is because he stayed the course. He's not a guy that said, "Oh, well, screw it." You know, took the quad A green route. Well, shoot, I'm you know Ashen Hagens. I came in as the five star point guard. I was expecting to lead the way, and here comes Ashen Hagens. He took my star's position. I'm coming off the bench. He could have gone that path where he transferred back home to Maryland, where he decides to just leave and, and you know transfer to a lower school or go overseas or something something like that. He could have gone elsewhere. Uh, he didn't have to stay the course like you know Calipari hopes that the, the guys in his position do. He could have gone elsewhere, um, and he decided that he, you know he wanted to stay the course. Stay the course. He wanted to stay positive. Keep growing that confidence. Keep developing his skills, and we have seen, I mean, elite growth out of you know from freshman to sophomore year. I'd argue that his growth from from freshman to sophomore is is better than what we've seen out of Ashton Hagens. I mean, Ashton Hagens has had you know Calipari said that he's he thinks he's the best college point guard you know in the nation right, right. now. I don't know, but if he was co SEC defensive you know, player of the year, so he had so right. He was already player. the leader of that of that team last year. He struggled against Auburn. He had you know some late late season struggles, but Emmanuel quickly was nothing more than a role player last year. He was at best a bench, yeah. you know, guy that can come in and give you six seven points. Right, like that that was his ceiling last season. Whereas this season. If he comes in and drops 20, 25 points, are you shocked? Nope. I'm not. Not even a little bit. He His confidence is growing in a way that like that none of us expected. And, and I know all of the early talk to start this year has been about Nick Richards. Nick Richards has been, you know, I, and I, I told you on the ride down here. He's put I himself am, in the draft. I am the biggest outside of Drew Franklin. He he claimed residency first. But I am, I'm happy to, to consider myself the vice president of the Nick Richards fan club. Um, I, I love, 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 love Nick Richards. He deserves every bit of praise that he's getting right now. But I kind of feel bad for Quickly. Yeah. Quickly, nobody's talking about him. Nobody is talking. That's the thing. You get overshadowed. Shoot. I mean, he drops you – know, he goes five of six from the three-point line and drops 20 points and nobody bats an eye. Right. Everybody goes – it's like people expect him to go out there and, and – do his work from from the three point line. Yeah, it's well, like, I mean, you compare those two players from where they've cut, like Nick and quickly. You know, obviously Nick had the struggle his first two years, and quickly he didn't necessarily struggle his first year, but you know, he was like you said, he was a role player. So you know, there's different 
they had the different come-ups. But, you know, what you're saying about quickly being uh, the confidence and all that, that's what makes, you know, not getting down and on yourself, that's what makes a good NBA player. Um, <clears throat> and to kind of go off on a different tangent, you know, like with some of those Cal guys that go in mid-picks, like, you know, with like Booker, uh, you know, what he got, like 13 or 14 or so, whatever that was. Uh, yeah, I believe he went th- He might have gone out of the louder- oh. lottery, actually. Yeah, I think Booker might have gone the sixty or something. That's either here nor there. But uh, you know, some of these you'll see people on Twitter going, "Well, how did the you know this guy was he he was uh, so mediocre at Kentucky, but now he's good in the NBA." It's not that they were mediocre at Kentucky. You know, they play in a system. Yeah, um, and quickly is currently he's playing in the system that you know helps him thrive, and he's developing the skills while he's doing that. So you know, it's going to be an easy plug and play when he gets to the NBA because he can do and that's you're seeing that with Tyler Hero right now um because he was the I think I mean he went up one after PJ I think he was 13 yeah um so no one I mean I think people expected Tyler to come in and have a big year but they did not expect him to play as well as he's doing right now because he didn't he didn't necessarily play even this well when he was at Kentucky like he had good spurts but you know he wasn't putting up you know four or five threes in a matter of a couple of minutes like he right. is with Miami Heat because, mm-hmm. you know, they allow him to do that. Kentucky, they didn't necessarily want him to shoot up, you know, four or five transition threes in a game. Um, so when quickly does eventually make that leap, I think he'll adapt quickly because he knows how to. Yeah. That's it. Essentially, that, that's why I'm a big believer in quickly. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm a big, big fan of quickly. I, I do think that, like – Hero is true six five six six. He's thin, but he still has some some you know well, he's, girth he's, to him. Tyler is big enough that defense will never be an issue for him, yeah. even if he's a bad defender. Yeah, because he, he can at least, stay in front of guys. Um, and that's kind of my only reservation with quickly at this point. It's just it is size and and does he have elite separation skill? Does 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 he? What position will he be at the NBA level? Will he be – he's he, not – I don't – He'd will, be a two. Will he, will he be an off-ball type guy? Yeah, he would d- play – he would kind of do – I would assume he would do what Malik Monk is doing in Charlotte right now. Okay. Which is playing the off-ball, catch and shoot. Uh, Malik Monk has been starting to do more pick and rolls and passing and stuff like that. I don't I don't really think we've seen quickly doing any yeah. stuff like that as like the lead ball handler. I would kind of like to see that. Um, it doesn't really make much sense with Ashton, obviously. Right. Um. But for my own sake, I'd like to see quickly, you know, run the offense a little bit just to see what it looks like because I think he can, he could probably, he's small enough that he could play that combo guard position, but he's never going to be a pass first guy. Um, but if he can get that shot to keep going down, he definitely has a Malik Monk type future in the NBA. Um, by the way, Malik Monk is playing a little bit better. Yes. Yeah. It, it, year that, over that, year, Malik. Don't give up on Malik Monk yet. He's only in his third year. He's he's slowly growing. He's going to get better. He's this, a really good. This passer. year in particular, he's he's putting up he's putting up numbers. He's, he's putting up you know, numbers. He's a really good passer. One really th- good passer. one thing that I have noticed about him is that he's getting put in late game situations. You know, he had yeah. that big buzzer beater. You know, a couple weeks back, right. I don't remember when that was, but but he like the. the the Charlotte coaching staff is starting to grow confidence in him, yeah. and 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 uh, that's what he needs. And and sh- that's yeah, the thing quickly. I, I think I think Malik Monk, who's obviously a you know a solid head above what quickly is as a college player, right. but but score. But in terms of just you know as a catch and shoot type guy, um, you know obviously they're completely different in terms of athleticism and all that stuff. But just you know, kind of a, a guy that can come in and just score in bunches. That's that's kind of what Emmanuel quickly can be for an yep. NBA roster. Um, 
I, he will find his time in, in the G League. I think. I think it's going to be. Okay, a, well. He'll he'll have to carve his way out. But well, do you think he even has a spot on next year's roster? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think the I, I think the way it's going to unfold, and I think he. I think he will need one more year of college. I think I think I, I think he will leave after next season and feel pretty strongly about it because I think he will ha- get be handed the keys after Ashton Hagens inevitably leaves um, this off season. I think quickly will will get the keys to the offense. He'll so be able to let's lead. say a scenario where quickly continues on his rise, and let's say he sneaks into some draft boards come May or whatever it is, and he's you know firmly. Middle early second round. Do you think he would? Um, probably. I mean, confidence is not an issue with him. So, right. so that's the thing. You know, that can work in either way. You know, he could be confident that he would be the best team in Kentucky, or he's confident enough that he would take his talents to the league. Um, that's a good question. That's very interesting. I would probably lean. Um, man, because the front court's the issue next year. Yeah, the back court. Not so much. Yeah, um, yeah. I I would lean that he's gonna find a way back in Lexington, okay. no matter what. He Even be the best if in the country this um, year, if he stayed, that's kind of my thing. I think he knows that. Okay, he could. He would probably slide into the late second round. I, I just don't know if NBA teams are kind of seeing him. In, I think NBA teams see Ashen Hagen's Tyrese. They're not, they're not looking at him right now. They're they not. see. Tyrese and Ashen as the guards for yeah. Kentucky, and they see quickly being a solid role player as he is. I mean, not I mean, uh, getting starter minutes, but still a role player in, in in his own very specific role. And I think that they're not gonna, you know, want to touch that quite yet. I think right. th- I think they are starting to see, oh, this guy is something that we should. Well, they at least they really have only radar. have two or three games worth of real material to actually use, and it's yeah. the last couple that he's played. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I, so. If he keeps growing, I would. I, I think Kentucky's planning on him being back, and I think Devin Askew. I don't know if you if if you've heard on this podcast in the past. I am as big of a Devin Askew fan as as anybody out there. I think he is a strong, sturdy, game changing, um, just lead floor general. I think he is he is the perfect perfect Jalen Brunson type. You know. Sturdy college ready guard, ready to go. I, th- but will he be ready for 40, you know, 36, 40 type minutes a game as a reclassified prospect? Right. That part, I'm still, I think he is going to be college ready. I think, I think he's going to be able to make an impact next year, but I think, but can he lead the, the team? staff? Would love for, for him to kind of, to to not be thrown into the situation immediately, have Emmanuel quickly as the lead guard with B.J. Boston and Terrence Clark at the two and three, get a guy like Greg Brown, get a guy you know, build the roster in, in that way, but have Emmanuel quickly be the premier guy, and then have Devin Askew come in and be the perfect perfect. I the Ricky Ruby. I have said yeah yeah yeah. I've compared him on this podcast in the past to Tyler Ulis. In term, not in terms of play, you know, in terms of playmaking and that stuff, you know, kind of a, a lesser version of Tyler Ulis. But in terms of his role on the team, his first year, Tyler Ulis, his first year, Andrew Harrison returns for his sophomore year for the 2014-15 team, the undefeated team. Um, Tyler, you know, undefeated regular season. I, I always say undefeated knowing the, you know. Undefeated Asterisk. W- Asterisk, yeah. 
whatever. Tyler Eulis was the role, the go-to role player point guard off the bench and fit in seamlessly. Seamlessly, he was the perfect guy to give to give you know a, a break to Andrew Harrison. He was the perfect perfect role player off the bench. That's what I am hoping Devin Askew is next year. That's what I think he could be in terms of coming in. So you he, think he takes a role? He's going to come in off the bench. He's going to knock Two, three, you know, threes. He he has the 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 potential to come in, knock down two, three threes a game, lead the way, not turn the ball over too much. He's going to be a guy that that can that 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 can keep the ship steady, while you know, I mean, quickly if he you know if he does return, right. while he gets his rest and comes back, and you know they'll be able to play together when BJ Boss and Terrence Clark, it, Devin Askew is going to get his minutes. Don't you know? Don't don't you worry about it. But I think. In an ideal world, it will be Emmanuel quickly leading the way um, with with Devin Askew being the role player. That's that's what I think will will ultimately happen. Um, tell me about what what's not working right now. What what what's not working? What do oh you boy. you know? Kentucky they're they're getting a lot of success from key guys. They're getting success the from, three guard from the three is guards. My favorite thing in the entire world. The three guard lineup is working. Calipari I, said, "I love that so." In much. fact, Calipari said on his Colin show uh, on Monday evening, he said, uh, "You guys do know that I watch the games, right?" He <laughs> said, "He said I I watch the games. I know that 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 lineup is the best. I yeah. know that they're the three best guys on the team. He knows, that's he why knows better than the Twitter pundits." He said, "That's why that." That's why they play at the end of games when yeah. the game's on the line. We need we need them in the games for that reason. Starting doesn't matter. It, it, it's about, you know, I would rather start Ashen Tyrese and a guy like Khalil, Khalil or Keon, try to see if they can get them going. And if they don't, boom, Quickly's in immediately. Yeah. He said, Emmanuel Quickly is a starter. They yeah. know that whether he's, he's the sixth starter. whether he is starting, you know, quote, unquote. Right. That doesn't matter. He's a starter. He plays starter minutes. He, you know, he provides what a starting point guard does. They're just trying to get some other players going. Yeah. They're trying to get Khalil going. They're trying to get Keon going. Well, that's that's Cal's thing. You know, he loves to he loves to give the freshman chances. And what Nick Richards started every single game his freshman year. And Nick at Richards, Kentucky. to be frank, was awful. His freshman he year, he was awful. He was not very good. Yes. Um. But what's not working? I don't know. I mean, EJ, yeah, he's been coming along a little bit. I really like how Nate's been playing the last few games. Um, I think his ability to stretch the floor makes us. I mean, I think like that the three guard lineup and the Nate and Nick lineup. That's that's the lineup that can win us a national championship. Yeah. But in terms of things that aren't working, I definitely think you know if Nick picks up two fouls in the first five minutes, I think we're we're in trouble for most games. Um, and until EJ – I mean, I like that EJ was hitting those mid-range shots and stuff like that, but until he can assert himself and take the ball to the rim and actually show that he's not just going to sit outside and pop out jumpers when he's open, um, I don't really like what's going on in the front court. I know that's just been an issue for a while, and that's what we're looking forward to for next year's uh, class on the Sources Say podcast here. Um, <laughs> but other than that, I think I really am liking where we're going lately. I'd like – I don't know what the news is on Dante Allen or anything. I'd really like to see him start to yeah. get some, or even Johnny Juzang get some more minutes. I know he's just struggling. That's the thing. Cal, he loves to fund all these minutes to Whitney and Brooks, but he's really not been that uh, polite with them towards Juzang. I don't know yeah. if, if I'm just overthinking that or if you're seeing the same thing I am. Um, 
I obviously I don't uh, Juzang right now is just the reality is Juzang is just he plays like he's a senior in high school because yeah. that's what he mm-hmm. technically is. Yeah. Um. So he's obviously got a he's got the best looking jumper on our team. And I right. don't think that's I don't think his issue is the shot. It's just it's got to be something with his with his mental or I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I would like to see him play a little bit more. I don't know what the deal with uh, Dante Allen is, but whenever he gets back, I really want to see him get plugged in for a couple minutes a game. Uh, just to see what he can bring, because if we can bring, if we can have five really, really good guards, I think guard play is really what can win you titles in yeah. NCAA. Um, I mean, Nick Richards is nice and everything, and it'll be really cool if he can average fifteen and ten for the rest of the year. Um, but we're not going to win unless uh, those three guards, and then potentially one of the other guys can come in and contribute some points off the bench too. Yeah, I think I think you bring up a really, really good point about. Why, why Khalil and and Keon? You know what? Why is he trying to force the issue so much with that instead of? And I know Johnny Juzang, Juzang has been sick. Um, right? Did I, I believe? I don't know if this was out there, but I believe that what I heard was that he had hand, foot, mouth. Did, do you know what that is? Hand, foot, it's, mouth. Is that appropriate? Yeah. What is that? It's it's uh. You put your hand, foot, in your mouth. It's a uh, it's something that a lot of like infants get. It's a it's a oh. it's a very common kind of a um, very very so he's a fidgeter probably thr- contag- contagious from what I from you know I, I my baby nephew had it a couple months ago so we're comparing but giant juicing to children my, no let's not let's do let's, it let's no let's not let's not do that that's what the the rumblings are right. that that that's what he had i'm not going to well, confirm that i'm just I i'm would, just saying that's if what if i had to guess some of the reasons why cal does that i think part of it is that Khalil whitney uh probably if i had to guess yeah i would say Khalil whitney doesn't come back next year would you agree with that uh who ooh because Going I would into say that Cal, the reason that Cal is so lenient with Khalil is because that he knows Khalil can go to the NBA next year. Juzang obviously cannot. I don't think there's any debating That's any of that. Okay. So I think that would, if I had to guess reasons why, I would think that Cal sees more immediate potential with guys to get them where they want to be right now, as opposed to a guy like Juzang where he's probably, like he came in probably trying to be a two-year guy. Khalil came in trying to be a one-and-done. What I will say is... Going into the year after summer workouts, I talked to somebody very, very close to the situation at Kentucky, and they felt pretty strongly that you, that they were going to get one of Khalil or Keon back next year. And I so, would say it'd be Keon if I had to guess right now. We haven't. If anybody's le- at this point, if I if I were to put money on it right now, Keon's leaving over over Khalil. I mean, yeah. what? If you're an NBA scout, what have you seen from Khalil Whitney? I'm taking that the makes, guy with the NBA body. That makes you, you know, right now. That's it. That's. I mean, that is that all is he has. But it. it. Give I mean, me one other NBA ready attribute that he has. Um, one. Any positive? He's thing? 19, right? Or is he 18? He's old enough. Okay, I, so I'm that, not saying out of one. I'm not saying out of technicality that he can physically be a an NBA player on a roster. I'm saying, what does he bring to the table right now as a as a college player, let alone as an NBA player? He's really good at putting his foot on the line when he shoots three pointers, or with a hand in his face. Yeah, or he's really good at that. Um, yeah, you're probably right, but I don't. I mean, 
I mean, with how many people? What do we got? Six recruits already? Six, six signees. Minutes? Six signees, yes. How's that going to work? Well, I mean, if you're going to keep all these guys, if just – I mean, obviously, you got – Nate's going to leave. Nick will probably leave. Ashton will leave. EJ will probably leave. That's four. I think that's your four. But we got these six coming in, and then you're, everyone's talking about Greg Brown or a potential reclass or something like that. You know, this is – what's the deal? What's going to – what would happen with the roster? What are we looking at? Well – you know, you got how much time do we have before you want to? We're go? good. We're good. We're All good. Right. We're good. Well, um, I will say that it's tough because because we're gonna have a transfer. Someone's gonna transfer, and if I had to guess right now, it'd be Keon Brooks. Keon ain't transferring. All no, right. no way. No, he's he's Keon is right on the cusp of being very good. I I I'm here to tell you right now, Keon. St- look, go ahead and set up ten. Look in that camp. Look look at the start of his game at Georgia. UK went at him specifically and said, "For the love of God, we need somebody to score points. We need points on the board right now. We're getting behind early. We could, you know, we're in a hostile environment. We could be on the cusp of getting our asses handed to us." And they say, uh, for the love of God, anybody score points. Here, Keon, you take it. And what does he do? He scores back-to-back-to-back buckets. Six points Six right, points, right his, away. Probably his career high. Looks well, – he scored 15 in a game earlier this okay, year. all right. He, but he, the, his confidence level in how he's doing it, he's floating a little bit too much on the perimeter. He, he's, he's really confident with that 18-foot jumper. You and know, Khalil Bothar, the, I don't know why. But Keon, what has been the most impressive to me is when he has kind of gotten the ball in the paint and he's kind of worked and kind of, you know, kind of felt the, you know, felt the shoulder of, of the defender and kind of, you know, f- tried to find his comfort in that space down low. And, and he's really gifted high basketball IQ in terms of knowing, you know, which shoulder to jump off of, which – you know, which way to spin, which way to, you know, to, to work off of with the defender. He's been really gifted in, in high basketball IQ in that area. Now we're just waiting on him to, you know, be comfortable dribbling the ball and, and comfortable in, in knocking down jump shots at a, at, a, at a higher rate. He has been doing a lot of really, really impressive things in very small increments. Very, very, you know, short spurts. We have seen a lot of, a lot of major success out of him. But not long 30, 20, you know, 25, 30 minute stretches of consistent success. That's the next step for Keon. I, I, I'm here to tell you, I think Keon is the runaway favorite out of Khalil and Keon to go pro without even thinking twice. If one of those two is going pro, it's going to be Keon right now because Khalil has shown little to nothing rebounding the ball. He's one of statistically the least efficient rebounders for a six foot seven. Guy with a forty-three inch vertical, built like a built Has he like. Shown I mean, that vertical once this year. I think he had one putback dunk um, against EKU or yeah. something like that, or you know, an alley. He's had a couple alley oops. He, there is. Give me one reason a guy his size, his strength, his athleticism, his speed is getting what one point five rebounds a game, if that. How I could get one point five rebounds a game, and by living by by. Stumbling into being at the right place at the you right time into with the rebound. rebound. You have to. It's like you have to. It's like he's trying to avoid getting rebounds, or he's. It's like he sees the shot go up. And he's like, "Oh, I'm going to get back on the other end so I can get mine. Maybe they can find me in transition. I can go dunk on somebody, even though he 
doesn't attack that the rim for whatever reason. High school. Frustrating. I knew I, I heard that Khalil Whitney had a lot of struggles coming out of high school. Um, he's he's, a, he's he. There's a reason that I was not hyping him up out of the Tyrese Tyrese Maxey. I was a big big fan of Tyrese. Is pretty um, clearly the you know lottery pick that we had. I was I was group. feeling pretty pretty good about guys like I thought Nick could take a step forward. I thought EJ. I am disappointed in EJ and his his and in the progress he's made, but. I think PJ kind of ruined it for EJ. Yeah, yeah, and I think Calipari has even even said that. Um, but the one guy that I was not willing to be, you know, kind of be outspoken about was Khalil because when I saw him at the McDonald's All American practices, he was not good. He was really, really struggling in transition and and knowing what to do with the ball. You know, he walked all the time. He, you know, he was pretty confident. With like fadeaway, you know, turnaround jumpers from from the mid range, and that that was kind of his, um, you know, his go to move. He he would attack the rim and 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 all that stuff, but really was not impressive at all against other elite competition. And this is a really bad recruiting class as a whole. Or this the, this last, you know, the the Tyrese, the Cole Anthony, James Wiseman, that class is historically bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of national guys kind of talked about it. So Khalil Whitney was a top 10 recruit in a historically bad class. So, yeah, he was top 10, and a lot of the, you know, people hype him up as being a top 10. What's what's the disconnect? Why is, why is a, a top 10 kid not playing like a top 10 kid? In, mo- in other elite classes and deep classes, he's probably in that 20 range, not – Top five. He's he's disappointing. Let me don't get me wrong, but a little different based on 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 how good this class is as a whole. He's the the disappointing you know play is not that much of a surprise to me. Um, but that's not to say that that we need to see a change very fast out of him. He is he has been um, just not aggressive at all. He's not been attacking the boards. He's not been attacking the rim for whatever reason. He did it. He did it one time against Alabama this past weekend um, where he attacked the glass and, and on you know he drove he attacked the rim he f- tried to finish at the rim missed it by an inch but there was a I believe it was Nick Richards came in and, and had the the follow-up put back dunk and it was like boom that that is what we need out of you Khalil we need that level if you're if you're gonna miss miss at the rim for the love of God don't do a, a pull up three in transition. Don't shoot with a hand in your face. Whatever you do, please just do what do. Do you think he's trying to get his too much? No, I think he's. Whenever he does get the ball, I think he's, because he's such. I mean, at this point, he's an off ball player. I don't think he's ever been an on ball guy since he's been here. Right. Maybe I don't know. I didn't really watch him in high school. Um, I would assume that he had the ball in his hands a lot, though. But um, it was as a slasher. He he was a he was a Michael Kidd Gilchrist type. You give him the ball in the wing, and he's going to give you four power dribbles and and finish over somebody at the rim. That right. was his game. Um, he you know he tried to he tried to take some jump shots and expand his game as any elite athlete should. I mean, you can't you can't only be an attacker. You have to be able to to you know give something on the perimeter to you know keep the defenders honest yeah. or else they're going to Ben Simmons you they're going to right. stand four people in the lane and go try me well, try you know, me you got i mean the offense that Kentucky runs it's more 
you know, it starts with the, you know, it's the dribble drive and, you know, we try and work it around, you know, try and dump it into the post a little bit, work it back out if we can. I feel like most of the offense that we run, it doesn't really feature a guy like Khalil. And uh, I feel like, I don't know if I'm just talking out of my behind here, but uh, Cal teams never really feature, you know, the small forwards type yeah. players as, you know, it's always about the point guard or feed it down to the big guy. Um, and that's kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier with, you know, like guys like Tyler Hero and Devin Booker going in mid round picks uh, because those guys n- never get their They never get to reach their full potential at Kentucky because they're never really given that opportunity. I'm not saying Cleo isn't given being given that opportunity because for all I know he could be, he's just may not be taking advantage of it yeah. because he's a young kid and he doesn't really know what he's doing. Um, but I really, I mean, I don't know. I think uh, give Khalil more opportunities in the offense and he can maybe show you something else. That's my point. Yeah. But, you know, when Hagens and Quickly and Tyrese are controlling the ball for, you know, 80% of the possession, as they should, uh, there's no reason to give the ball to Khalil, um, especially if he's, you know, we're already in middle of January and he hasn't shown that he can, you know, even take the ball to the rim by himself. So, you know, there's no reason to try and build a guy at this point um, so he might be like a project, you know, and I think NBA guys will look at stuff like that. I still don't, I don't think Khalil or Keon would get a uh, significant look at the NBA. I think Khalil could literally go just based on his body. Yeah. Um, but yeah, both of them just have underperformed. Over. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, but I think part of it is just, you know, the style of play that Calipari runs. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that because I think it works. Um, obviously running, like I said earlier, guards wins you games in, in college. And, you know, Kentucky has three really, really good ones. So there's no reason to force feed the ball to Khalil Whitney six or seven times a game in the corner and let him try and make a bunch of power dribbles inside when we can just, uh, you know, feed the ball into Nick and let him work it in and out and try and run screens around and get quickly open and run that baseline runner action. So I don't know. If Khalil could shoot better, it'd be different, but he just can't. So I just don't think there's much of a spot for him right now. Yeah, I, I think – my thing is, if you're gonna if you're gonna put him in the game, put him in some type of position to succeed. I, I mean, mean I, don't, I know it's, I know does he normally play the three. The th- yeah, I think he should probably he should probably play down. He should probably play down to the four or something, and just he should probably play undersized and just be big. Yeah, I mean that, that's kind of my, if you're gonna put him in the game, if you're gonna give him minutes, at least try to work something for him. You, kind of force feed him into utilizing his athleticism try to work around his obvious flaws um he just needs confidence he needs something to to build confidence he needs an eight point game he you know what you know what i mean he needs something to where get that taste of oh okay so i contributed to this team when i did this finish in the lane when yeah. I went when they found the baseline I was able to cram it and get the crowd going nuts and it led to a, a, a 4-0 run 6-0 run 10-0 run whatever you know whatever it was that okay okay that's my bread and butter right there he needs just that taste of something he's got to find his role because what he's doing right now coming in the game going uh, you know getting the ball handed to him uh 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 okay I guess I'm wide open I guess I'm gonna shoot a three Brick, uh, okay, I'm going to get back on defense. Kyle Pear is going to pull me. I'm sitting for the rest of the game. You know what I mean? Right now, there is no role for him. There's no, you know, consistency. There's no foundation for him to to succeed. So he's going to go in and get his. He's going to tr- he's going to go. 
oh, I guess I'm a I'm on the perimeter. I'm open for a three point shot. I guess I'm going to shoot because this is the only time I'm going to touch the ball the rest of the game. Maybe if I make this, Coach Cal is going to be proud of me and keep me in the game. Like he, that's his mindset right now. He has to be given the the keys to a transition style. Um, slashing style of, of offense because that's his game. That's what he was brought to Kentucky to be. And they're just frankly not not putting him in that position right now. Well, when you have three guys that can handle the ball. And that's kind of the thing. Yeah, Calipari, Calipari's argument is why give it to him? I've tried. I've tried. Yeah. But we don't need him right now. Right. Khalil says you don't know what you're missing because you're not using me right. So there's that back and forth and Khalil, bless his heart, he's doing a bang-up job in keeping a straight face and, and you know, trying to keep with the, you know, positive vibes and the positive momentum. He doesn't want to be a locker room distraction. He doesn't want to to hurt his team in that aspect. So you got to give him props in that regard. But at the same time, you know, Calipari, you know, you got to give him a little something or not play him at all. M- my thing is – don't give him a a minute or two courtesy. I would rather hit Johnny Juzang him like what he did against in this last game. Don't play him at all. If if you are not going to put him in that position to to succeed, keep him on the bench. If you're confident in your three guard lineup, if you're confident in that, don't even bother. Put you know let let Keon get his you know 10, 12 minutes a game as the 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 you know give the three guard lineup a breather type role. If you're gonna do that. Be honest about it. Just just do it. But if you're going to put Khalil in the game, the least you can do is try to, you know, try to try to work him in the best way possible. Don't let him float on the damn perimeter. Don't let him shoot f- open, quote-unquote, jump shots where there's a hand in his face and he thinks that's all he can do. Just – if you're going to utilize him, utilize him. That's my, that's my only argument. Um, and, and let's try to give him – let's try to build him some confidence a little bit. He's a talented player. He's the most athletic player on the team. Just we we got to figure it out. We the, that's that's the next step. I think EJ's right on the cusp. I think he's been he's been he, he's he's close. I think I think Keon's close, and I think the rest of the guys are doing bang up jobs. I'm impressed by I'm I'm impressed with Nick Ashton uh, quickly Tyrese Nate. Those are those are your key five right now. Right. No, no complaints about any of them right now. That's if the game was on the line right now. Those are your five. Yeah. Without even thinking twice. I mean, that's a starting lineup that can win that's the your, title. That's though. your starting lineup for a national title. I would like to see Khalil maybe play next to uh, Nate with a three guard lineup. Sure. Let him, uh, let him work around four shooters kind of, and see if he can kind of bang. Kind bang of that inside. inside out action where let him the, see if the, the inside we'll learn if he's a good passer or not doing stuff like that or at least you know let him learn how to pass the ball yeah. out of stuff like that. If Nate is out on the perimeter with for you know for his catch and shoot opportunities, maybe that'll give you know a little inside out action. You know what yeah, I'm talking. You know. A couple of, a couple of inches of space could mean the world of difference for a guy as big as Khalil. So yeah, um, well we we're. we're dragging on about, you know, individual players. Give me a uh, uh, real quick before I kind of go on my little tangent about Greg Brown. Uh, real quick, give me your um, your overall keys to this game against South Carolina. What are you hoping to see against the Gamecocks in, in a, what should be a hostile road environment, second road and, you know, road atmosphere of the year? What Give me uh, – what, what do you think? Well, I'm interested to see, you know, obviously the last couple games they've 
they've had those stretches where they look like a really, really, really good team. So I would like to see us put together one of those stretches, maybe 10 or 15 minutes, try to avoid a, those uh, those two or three minute droughts mm-hmm. that I feel like are common in pretty much every college basketball game. Um, but I would really like to see, uh, I just like to see that five lineup of with Nate, Nick, and the three guards. I really just, I don't think, I haven't seen a, an opposing defense that can stop that one yet, and I don't think there is one. Yeah. Um, so I think the more the more use we get out of that, the more practice we get with them right now. Um, that's really what I'm just looking for is to see continued improvement out of those guys and just make sure that, you know, Quickly's shooting the last few games. Hasn't been a fluke. I don't think it is because he's shooting like 97% from Something the free throw line. Nuts, yeah. So um, I think he's a legit shooter. But at this point, it's just it's building on the stretches of success that we've found. Because like I was saying earlier, you know, normally it's – I feel like it's usually about February by the time we hit that stride where we find those stretches. So the sooner we can hit those stretches and the longer we can extend them, um, that's really what I'm looking forward to. Other than that, there's, I mean, at this point we know who the players are, you know, um, there's really nothing new we're going to find out about individual guys. Um, so it's really about, you know, just preparing yourself for the tournament at this point and getting ready. And I think they're on a really good path right now. Yeah. I think, uh, real quickly, the, South Carolina is going to be a physical. They're going to be tough. They're going to try to grind out and, and, and make life difficult for Kentucky in that aspect. They're, they're, going, to, they're going to try to out-tough Kentucky. Um, so it's going to be a big game for guys like EJ, who, they, I mean, he's been notorious for not bringing that to the table. So they're going to try to go straight at him. Nick has shown, you know, when, when they have asked him to be the tough guy, he has responded fairly well this year. So it's going to be a it's going to be a gritty type game. Um, so EJ is going to be a key. He's going to be a very big key in that aspect. If not, you got to go. You got to go Nate because Nate, Nate, you know he struggles defensively a little bit. But outside of that, he's he's going to bang down low. He'll he'll he's not afraid to to Mm-mm. give you some tough, hard earned minutes. Um, Ashton Hagens, it's gonna be a huge game for him. He lives for grit and grind and and stuff like that. Uh, Tyrese Maxey, he's he's starting to you know fight through contact, finish at the rim. He's he's starting to you know give us some some flexes after big strong finishes. Yeah, pretty up and under. The yeah, hell oh, hell yeah, absolutely. It's an so NBA move. so uh, that is that's gonna be the key to the game, I think. You know, matching the physicality. That's that's gonna be it. UK has worlds. Worlds of, of talent in, in terms of of advantage in, in that aspect. They're they're going to be able to beat them there um, in in terms of just pure talent, skill, athleticism, um, speed, that kind of stuff. UK is going to be able to to dominate South Carolina. But if but it, it's going to be a physical game. It's going to be that that's going to be where where UK could could struggle and South Carolina could thrive. Um, so they got to match physicality. That's that's my overall key. Um, all right. Well, with that, I am going to um, Zach. If you want to interject with with some, you know, Zach, uh, uh, some Greg Brown analysis, by all means, go sure. for it. If you want to tell me, you know, man, this kid's awesome. This is why we got to UK has to get him locked up. By all means, tell me. Just just hop in. I don't. I'm gonna know. let you do your thing. And I'll just sit back and watch. You know, it, but if you if you feel the need, just let me know. All right. Absolutely. Greg Brown, top ten player. Class of 2020, arguably the most athletic, bouncy, pogo stick, jump through the roof type player in the country. That is Greg Brown, and he was on campus this past weekend in, uh, uh, on an official visit. And going into the trip, 
I had my doubts, let me be honest. I thought UK was running third, possibly fourth, behind Texas number one, Memphis two, Auburn three, and Kentucky four. I thought they were they were in not good position at all. Um, I did not like Greg Brown Sr.'s quotes before the visit where he basically said, we are favoring the three visits we've already taken in terms of Texas, Memphis, and, and um Auburn, he said he flat out said those are our favorites right now. It's not a good thing to hear going into a visit to another school. And and his comment on on Kentucky was basically like, "We'll see how it goes." Very very vague, very you know unimpressive. And um, so so I I went into the visit knowing that a this is a coat this is a a dad that has been about as glowing uh, has given about as positive remarks as you could possibly get to every single school he's visited. So there is going to be positive momentum leaving the Kentucky visit. They are going – Kentucky's going to make up ground. No matter – I, I could have made up the scenario in my in my head. I already knew that the, that the we are going to hear reports of Kentucky made up ground. They did a bang-up job. UK did a hell of a job hosting him and, and all of that. I, it, it was it was inevitable. They, I knew that's that's how this – recruitment has gone they have been they've fallen in love everywhere they've gone so I really wanted to weed out the you know the the fall you know the fabricated the the fluff stuff that comes after a positive visit versus what's real and what's what what is so what I will I'll tell you first Texas I think was the leader going into the visit with Memphis circling right behind um from there I think Kentucky and Auburn were neck and neck, depending on who you talk to. Um, and I knew that there that UK was going to have ground to make up, without a doubt. Um, and I think UK, given what they were handed, I think they did a bang up job. I think they showed the right film. They you know showed they showed PJ Washington, um, you know guys that that are traditional fours like Greg Brown, with the opportunity to take threes to grab the rebound, you know, grab the ball, you know, on a fast break and take it if if need be. They showed a lot of film about that to kind of emphasize, "Hey, Greg, you are a utility tran- you know, you you are a a a multi-tool. You are a a, you know, plug and play type guy. You can do w- uh, so much good on the floor. Will, you know, you just give us opportunity, we'll make you we'll fit you in somewhere. Well, you you'll have the opportunity to do that." So they did a bang-up job with that and pitching him on fit. They did a great job with that. Um, they had dinner at Jeff Ruby's on Saturday night. That went great. Um, I, I heard from an individual that uh, Greg Brown demolished his steak, in case you were curious. Just, you know just, one of the servers that works there? Or? I, I'm, no, I'm, I'm not going to. Sources don't say. No, I I'm, 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 you know, could have been from somebody from Kentucky. I'm just here to tell you that was an enjoyable experience for them. They did enjoy that. I would have enjoyed it. It, it. It's it's Yeah, it's a good dinner. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, one thing I will say. No matter how this recruitment unfolds, Kentucky was very, very pleased with Greg Brown and his and his father in particular. But you know that they thought that knowing the obstacles that they had going into it, that they were giving the their best, you know, their best foot forward, keeping an open mind, knowing, 
hey, we know the narrative out there is that Texas is the leader. We know all that stuff. We want you to know that we are open to ending up at Kentucky. We want to hear your best pitch. A lot of, you know, Calipari's talked about not being a hat on the table and, you know, being in the right recruitments with guys that want to be recruited, not want to be recruited. Does that make sense? Guys that want to – that are open to ending up in Lexington and are very serious about the process, want to be actively recruited versus guys that want to be a hat on the table, guys that are only focused on on saying, I'm being recruited by Kentucky. I'm one of Kentucky's top options. There, there's a fine line there, and they wanted to make sure Greg was one of those guys. They found out that he was. That was one thing that impressed it. They said, phenomenal family, very nice people, you know, asked really smart questions, you know, things that things that – you know, not common sense, you know, very genuine questions and, and, and hope for genuine answers back. That was something that, that the Kentucky staff was very po- was very impressed with leaving the visit. Um, but I will say the, uh, there was one there was one guy, I think it was a Duke insider, Chad Likens, I believe he submitted a crystal ball pick. Um, for Kentucky, I think it was on Sunday, immediately following the visit, and I, I didn't hear anything that that led me to believe that Kentucky had done enough to overtake and and was the overwhelming favor, at least from guys that I trust. I thought that they did a phenomenal job. I think they were confident in in how it went, but not enough to say, oh, we got this kid. This this kid, he's he's Kentucky bound. No questions asked. So some visits, you know, like the BJ Boston visit, he committed that Saturday, and they they felt pretty pretty damn strongly. They were like, this this went about as well as it could. We we got him. Devin Askew, same thing. Cameron Fletcher. There are guys that you know when it's a and it's when it's a make or break, break recruit uh, visit, and it and it worked in their favor about as well as it could. They end up committing all that stuff. It wasn't like that. They they. We're confident, but it was one of those. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, I had one individual reach out to me from Vandegrift High School. That's where Greg Brown goes. Where they said, "Let me get the exact uh, the exact message pulled up." They were very, very optimistic. Let me just say, he said. I'm told that the UK visit was the best one that he and his dad have had yet, and it put them in front of Texas as the school, as the team to beat. Greg was also partying with the UK students and athletes. Um, he was saying some eye-opening things about Kentucky, and he's always been a low-key UK fan. Um, and I said, uh, "What you know? What you know? What what makes you so confident? You know, vague stuff like that." And he said. Uh, um, Kentucky's gonna get him, and I don't even watch college basketball. So this wasn't a guy, you know, Kentucky fan hoping to, hoping UK lands him. This was a guy that was just kind of being as vague as possible. Said, "Hey, I, I'm just here to tell you right now, I'm not a big college basketball fan. I'm not a Kentucky fan. I'm not anything." But the word around their high school is that um, it's it, it was, was is that. Kentucky did a, a bang a job, bang up job, and that they may have t- overtaken as the uh, as the leader. Do I believe that? I don't know. I don't think so. I think I think Texas is still the firm leader, uh, with Memphis and Kentucky lurking right behind. I think that's kind of my over, overall takeaway. I don't want to get burned like like the Cade Cunningham situation again. I know Cade 
said all the right things. UK was really, really confident about about how that went, uh, and, and they thought that they were going to get him. They 100% thought that Cade was coming to Kentucky, and I think uh, there's a cautious optimism now because they they want to know they want to think that they did a really good job and that things went well, but they things also went really well with Cade and similar to, you know, like we saw with Cade with his ties to Oklahoma State, the ties with Texas for Greg Brown are there. His dad went his dad was was a superstar football player at Texas. His uncle played basketball at Texas. They live in Austin, Texas for goodness sake. Like you you couldn't find more ties with the program than than what they have right now. So that is going to be massive to overcome no matter who you talk to, um, who you believe. I'm here to tell you right now, like, it's it, it, it's tough. Um, but given that circumstance, I think Kentucky did an awesome job. I think things went really well. I think they did close the gap ever so slightly. Um, I would say that I, – I would say that – it's still an open race. I think Kentucky could potentially come out on top at the very end of the day, but I'm not he- I'm not predicting it at all right now. Uh, I think it'd be an awesome fit. I think Kentucky would would utilize him the right way. I think he'd he'd fit in seamlessly with the guards that they have right now, and and they they seem very interested in, in playing with one another. Greg seems to want to play with a you know some some selfless guys. Um, but also talented guys, guys that he's confident can win a title. He can win a title with. Um, so that's where UK stands right now. I think, I think Kentucky, um, it, they they are confident, but it's a cautious it's a cautious optimism, and that's that's kind of the the big takeaways. And, and we're 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 gonna go to our talks with Travis Graff first, and then David Sisk, who you know they kind of had their ear on the ground and and we kind of divided and conquered with you know on Sunday or so when the visit ended we kind of you know had one person talk to somebody close to the Kentucky staff David talked to Greg's dad um, you know we talked to like I said somebody t- close to the their high school various people close to Greg Brown and the Kentucky program we tried to talk to as many pe- people as possible so uh, with that um, Zach I appreciate you joining me. This is this was fun. A lot of good basketball talk. Uh, you know, first, you know, Zach, where where can fans find find your work and uh, and what what's your Twitter Twitter handle? Uh, well, my my Twitter handle is my it includes my last name. So just type in uh, G E O on on Twitter, and I'm I'm sure I'll pop up. Yeah, Zach. Zach Gagan. Yeah. Zach G E O. It's it sounds like G A C K. It looks like with an at G O Gagan. It looks yeah. like Geo Gagan, sure. but it's Gagan. Yeah. Um, so Zach Gagan, KSR, right? Nope. Zach Gagan. That's it. Yep. Huh. Okay. Well, I'm on the KSR family of networks, though. Yeah. It's only one network. Yeah. The the network. The network. So you can find his work. He does awesome, awesome work on the Kentucky women's team. Uh, he does a, a daily BBNBA post breaking down all the craziness that goes on with the Kentucky basketball players in the NBA. Um, he's awesome. We appreciate him, uh, and uh, and we we you know we'll we'll have you back. This this was fun. Good good basketball good basketball talk. Uh, I, I appreciate you. And with that, we will go straight to our interview with Travis Graff. And we are happy to be joined 
on the phone by none other than Travis Graff, our usual co-host. Today we are doing things a little bit differently. As I said before, a uh, little scheduling conflict. I'm down in South Carolina getting ready to watch the Cats take on the Gamecocks. So uh, with that, we had to change things up a little bit differently. So Travis is going to join here for his own little individual segment. And then after that, we're going to bring on David to have his own individual segment to talk about one thing and one thing only. And that is Greg Brown's visit. First off, Travis, how are you doing today, man? Doing good. And don't lie to people. Me and uh, me and David are just having a inner team turmoil. We're trying to avoid each other. Yeah, yeah. We we are on the outs. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. The things are going great. Just a little scheduling hiccup, but we will be back uh, as normal last or next week. So, Travis, I brought you on to talk about the big name on campus this past weekend, and that is 2020 five-star forward Greg Brown uh, out of Austin, Texas, a five-star kid, top 10, consensus top 10 kid. Um, first off, Travis, tell me about this kid. What do you know about Greg Brown as a player, and just how big was it that Kentucky even got this kid on campus in the first place? Yeah, it was, it was definitely huge that he got him on campus because he's been considered a Texas lock ever since his junior year of high school. And as a player, he's really dynamic. He's he's built like a four, like a skinny four-man, but he, he plays more like a wing. He's an underrated shooter, really underrated ball handler. But the biggest thing about him is he might be the best athlete in this class, and he's just an out-of-this-world athlete. I just retweeted a video not – about five minutes ago of him just absolutely obliterating a kid on a fast break, essentially jumped out, jumped over him and ended his life and like stared over him. It was phenomenal to see, but yeah, I think he would fill a big void left on next year's uh, roster. Everybody knows that the biggest hole right now, if Nick Richards was to leave, which everybody expects him and EJ gone that I've talked to that they're missing a, a uh, premier big man. And while Greg, like I said, like while Greg isn't a pure post player, he would definitely 100% play small ball four. And he, he could fill that. He could 100% fill that void. Yeah. And speaking of that video that you shared, well, like why does why does he have to be so mean about it? Like he like it's just a, a an open fast break, you know nothing. You know all he had to do was just lay it in nicely, or you know even just a little little soft dunk. But he has to go up, tomahawk it, pull it, you know touch his back shoulder blade, and then just cram it on this kid. And I mean he might as well be crying on the floor. It is that embarrassing. Poor dude uh, didn't stand a chance against that all-world athlete in Greg Brown. We had his coach on uh, the, the show a couple weeks back, and, I mean, he was raving about him nonstop, talking about how, A, yeah, everybody knows he's an athlete. Everybody knows he can jump out the gym. Everybody knows that he is, the, you know, arguably the best in-game dunker in all of high school basketball. But – what separates his game is the fact that he is now developing into a a skilled skilled wing almost instead of a a pure you know athlete dunker you know you know rim protector on defense lob catcher on offense that was kind of his game originally but he is he has spread his game out so much and, and developed in such a way where he's now knocking down you know two three four three pointers in a game he's you know not afraid to dribble the ball up the floor he is 
like one of the most versatile basketball players in in high school basketball right now. Um, easily the best athlete without without even thinking twice. He's that good. Um, so yeah, you you hit on all the big major points about him being on campus as a whole. I mean, just just Kentucky is going to have a need. They're going to lose Nick Richards one hundred percent. And I'm I, I'm still under the you know under the firm belief that EJ is gone as well. I think he returned this year under operating under the assumption that he's going to leave next year no matter this next offseason no matter what so um so UK needs another premier big man and that is Greg Brown I mean that's flat out that is a guy that you could get and and fill immediate needs and be an immediate difference maker on the team next season but will he ever even you know will is there even a real you know, shot that it even does come to fruition. Talk to me about this visit, Travis. Um, what were your thoughts going into the visit regarding Kentucky's chances? And uh, we'll start pretty vague. What do you think Kentucky's chances are after the fact? Before the visit, I think you could say that Kentucky was running fourth behind the three schools he had visited, uh, being Texas, Auburn, and uh, Memphis. And I think that Memphis, there was rumblings that they had taken the lead, even though I think it's, I think Texas is still in the lead for him. Uh, I think that those two are still first and second. However, I think Kentucky has put themselves in a position where if coaching changes happen at those schools, that they'll be in a good position to land his services. But as of right now, I think, I think that Greg Brown falls in love with every school he visits, both him and his family do. Mm -hmm. And I think that the rave reviews that they leave for each school and me and you both saw how much fun Greg Brown, uh, Greg Brown's dad was having on the sidelines. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And for anybody who saw that, it'd be like, Oh, he's so into it. But in an interview with David Siski, he's like, Oh, I'm just a fun guy. I have fun no matter what I'm doing. Guys, he was throwing up the three goals. Well, like not three goals, but like raising his arm up above his head, throwing up threes, throwing up, uh, doing the three reload gun. Like a man, for those don't know, that's what Emmanuel quickly does with his arm after he makes a three, and just having a good time. Positive uh, body language, being positive with the fans around them, and smiling and upbeat the entire time. Like I said the other day, even if Kentucky does not land him, it's a breath of fresh air that. He uh, that they were just such great visitors and not just have negative body language and on their phones the entire time. But with that being said, I still don't expect Kentucky to land them or land him. But Kentucky has put themselves in a much better situation than they were before the visit. Now, if obviously Kentucky knew going into it that they were you know not the running favorite in the slightest um, you know that, that was kind of a general consensus that Texas was the leader um, but we you know when we had his coach on a, a few a few weeks back he kind of mentioned specifically that Calipari and, and the UK coaching staff love to work kind of in, in silence they like to go behind the scenes they like to visit when nobody's paying attention they like to kind of work their magic behind closed doors so they could pull off surprises like you know like this one would be or like Kevin Knox whenever he he signed and and Julius Randall you know he was he was well, apparently... hell, you remember Greg Brown didn't even go public with his offer till months later exactly so. yeah exactly that's that's you know that's a huge point you know I I'm I'm wondering how much of the the public speculation is is 
is the Texas talk and the Memphis talk recently? How much of it is just public speculation with UK trying to withhold some of that information? You know, really, where are they getting this confidence from? That's my that's my thinking. They're still actively going after this kid. They are there, you know, still think that they have a, a, a fighter's chance. Where do you think that optimism come, comes from that they still think that they have a shot? Well, with John Calipari, I never count him out first and foremost, but I think that – like, I really don't know because everybody, like you said, public perception has always been Texas. But if you look at like Texas has done this so far this season, Shaka Smart could be on the way out. He's got his biggest thing with Memphis is his relationship with Mike Miller. And Mike Miller could be taking an NBA uh, gig at the end of the season, could be doing his own thing at the end of the season. There's been rumblings of both of those happening. So it's, it's like if Kentucky's sitting third there, they still have a puncher's chance. And I think that's where their confidence stems from. So even after after the fact, um, I know you kind of touched a little bit on some of the – you know, so so for those, for those listening, after – during and after the visit, um, I – you know, David and Travis – David, Travis, and I basically said, let's get our – let's put our heads together – let's kind of divide and conquer. You talk to his coach, you talk to his dad, you talk to, you know, people within the Kentucky program. We've, we've tried to kind of um, create this big picture um, in-depth look at, uh, you know, try to try to be the most informed individuals on, uh, on this recruitment in particular, because it is such a massive one. So um, I know you kind of touched on it loosely, but you know, what were your biggest takeaways in your research and, you know, who you talk to afterward um, and, and just kind of where this thing is trending, when a commitment is going to happen, um, you know, just kind of the big takeaways from after the visit. I want you to kind of have the floor and and kind of pat yourself on the back a little bit because you have been working your tail off, you know, trying to get the, the latest and greatest scoop on, on this recruitment. So, you know, give me give me your your overall thoughts on this recruitment um, and, and where you think it's going to end up going and, and just kind of what you've learned over the last 40, 48 hours or so. I had talked to uh, somebody while he was on campus, and they had told me that going into the visit, they figured it was a long shot and that they thought he was going to go to Texas as of like last week. And then even after the visit, they're like, but they put themselves in a great position, but there's still work to be done. But as I understand it, Kentucky's biggest objective right now is getting Paulo Bancaro to her class to the class of 2020, as well as get a grad transfer to go alongside him. But I mean, UK would certainly not turn down the chance for to secure Greg Brown, seeing that uh, Paulo Bancaro has been so adamant about staying in the 2021 class. So do you think that, you know, big picture, say UK does end up getting Paolo reclassified and gets him committed. You know, we, we've been talking in the, in, over the last several weeks that we think Kentucky's in a phenomenal position. I would, would 100% say that Kentucky is the leader at this point. Um, but the big talk is about reclass. If they are able to get him to reclass um, and, you know, they're, they're looking for that one final piece to the puzzle. Do you think that is Greg Brown or do you think that, you know, 
obviously the talk is there with with uh, Jonathan Kaminga, and then Cliff Omarui is is kind of a an option that they're kind of holding in their back pocket, and and you know they're able to use that if if they really need to. You know, what do you think Kentucky's overall preference is regarding uh, their their final few pieces in this class? Are you saying if they don't get uh, Paulo, wherever they turn next? No. If you know who is who is Kentucky going to go after for that final piece if they do get Paulo to reclass and commit? I would say that they're going. The way I understood it was that they would go after a grad transfer. That was going to be their main thing. Apparently, they've really liked getting grad transfers the last couple of years because they're they'll also have Isaiah Jackson, Lance Ware down low next year. And I think that uh, Cam Fletcher could play down low some as well. But a name that I heard um, thrown around the other day was I was told to keep an eye on Frank Kepnang uh, from them and uh, from the people that have connections ar- around the Kentucky program. They said keep an eye on Frank Kepnang. So I talked to his guardian the other day and did an interview with him for Cats Illustrated. And he said that while – no disrespect to anybody that's wanting him for 2020. He said that Kentucky hasn't even mentioned anything to uh, them about 2020, but anybody that does mention anything to them about reclassifying that with all due respect, they don't see themselves being in that situation because Frank is from Cameroon. He turns 18 in October. And while he'll be eligible to reclass, it's really important to him. Who Frank's really good academically, according to his guardian mm-hmm. and his family being from Cameroon. It's, they said it's big for them to not only meet all the requirements for high school, but to graduate as well. So you're telling me if Kentucky strikes out on Greg Brown, they strike out on, um, you know, let, let's just go all in. Say they strike out on Greg Brown, uh, Jonathan Kaminga reclasses and goes to Duke, and Paolo stays in the class of 2021. You're telling me that if Kentucky went to went to Frank and basically said, dude, we need another premier big. You could be that guy. Um, you telling me that you d- you don't see a scenario where where he does ultimately re- reclassify. Well, I'm going to take his guardian, at, uh, like at, with his words. So I'm not going to like say, "Oh, he's lying." But I that would be a juicy situation for a player that's on the uptick. But I think Ketnang probably needs another year of high school. He's really raw offensively, but he. He's another one of those guys that would be a automatic pain enforcer and automatic rebounding. He's just huge and muscular. And but I I wouldn't say Kepnang would be the guy, but gun to my head I would say that they would get a grad transfer and get a guy like Cliff Amaru. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think that Cliff situation's very, very interesting because based on what I what I've been told UK can get can get Cliff at any moment. It, that if if they decide, hey, we we need you, uh, we want you to be a, a a major you know foundational piece for our future. He's obviously a multi multi year guy. That would be the perfect perfect situation um, for for Kentucky because I I do think Kentucky could get him um, at the drop of that if they if they really pushed for him in the spring. So to have that in your back pocket does allow you to kind of um, you know get a little bit more gutsy with guys like Greg Brown and Jonathan Kaminga and, and Paolo Bancaro because you know you knowing you have a a top fifty 
four-star center who is, you know, he's going to be an immediate plug-and-play type guy in terms of rebounding and, and blocking shots and, and, and dunking the ball. He is going to be an immediate impact in that regard. So to have that in your back pocket kind of allows you to go at a guy like Greg Brown and say, dude, I know that we're not the favorites right now, but we're going to, you know, we're going to show you exactly how we're going to utilize you. We want you in this system. Um, and, you know, you can you can kind of swing for the for the fences on guys like him because you you kind of have that that final front court option if you need it in in your back pocket. So yeah, you bring up a great point with him. Um, you know, what, but I, I kind of compare that situation to where, like, it's a lesser player. Like, whenever Kentucky was able to go all out on Cade Cunningham mm-hmm. because they knew they had Devin Askew in their back pocket, they can go out all out for a player like uh, Paulo Reclassifying or. Greg Brown and know that they can have Cliff at any time because I'm under the assumption like you like I feel like if Kentucky wants Cliff they'll get Cliff mm-hmm. yeah um, before we wrap this thing up we've been kind of talking behind you know behind the scenes about yes Kentucky has the number one recruiting class locked up for for 2020 right now really looking optimistic that they're going to finish that way because, like we talked about with Cliff and, and they, those other three major options and Greg Brown, uh, Jonathan Kaminga, and Paolo, because they have – you know, the, things are looking really, really solid for the class of 2020. But we've been talking behind the scenes that UK might have something – Something real special brewing for 2021. Uh, we've been talking about, you know, we, we talked about Jaden Hardy on the podcast uh, either last week or the week before and how we think Kentucky is the firm leader in that recruitment. Um, and, you know, a couple other guys are in great position with. But, Travis, you know, over the last week or so, you have gotten the inside inside scoop with another guy who you are feeling pretty, pretty confident about Kentucky uh, and their chances – in their chances there. Why don't you, who, who is that? And, uh, uh, kind of give me the latest on him before we, before we wrap up with you. Are you talking about Scott Clark? Yes, sir. Yeah. Scott Clark is a guy that could transfer or could reclassify to 2021, but he's a guy from Southern California, uh, goes to heritage Christian school can fill absolutely fill it up. I talked to somebody close to him the other day and they said that everything that they said, like match, Kentucky they pretty much said we know what we want and this was Joel's art Joel Justice has already flown out there twice to see him flown out to Southern California to see him twice and he said that this guy said that yeah Joel's not gonna do that if he's not serious and yeah I think it's clear that he might be the guy for them in 2022 like I said he could reclassify to 2021 his father told me that It'll, that the reclassification will solely depend on where he's at in the ranking process. And it was, he originally uh, told me last week that he's going to be visiting UK on the 29th, but they are moving that back to now it's February 10th and the 11th, they're mm-hmm. going to play Vanderbilt. It was, it's funny. They went from one weekend where Kentucky played Vanderbilt to the next week and they're playing Vanderbilt. Yeah. So, yeah, but like I said, you can fill it up. You can watch his highlights on YouTube. He's, he's not, Super strong guy, but he he can score the ball at all three levels. He's one of the top scorers in Southern California. And there's going to be a couple other things that help Kentucky out in this recruitment. Yeah, that's huge. And kind of real quick, um, give me your early favorites for Kentucky in the class of 2021. I know we just – we talked about 
uh, Sky potentially being a, a reclass guy. Uh, we're feeling pretty pretty confident about Jaden Hardy. Who who else is Kentucky in good position with for for twenty twenty one? Another reclassification candidate is a top ten player from twenty twenty two, Brandon Huntley Hatfield, mm-hmm. and I think UK is in phenomenal position with him. They're right there in the mix of of the top. He 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 visited Kentucky earlier in the earlier this year, but uh, he's Alex Poitras's cousin. Yep. So he said that Alex will help him a little bit in the recruiting process, but it's ultimately his his decision. But I wouldn't wouldn't expect Alex to put in a bad word for Kentucky. But like you said, I think Paul UK is in a good position with Paulo. Patrick Baldwin had some fantastic things to say about. Yeah, Kentucky, how about that? How I'm, about that? I'm going to tell people right now don't fall into that trap. It's, <laughs> Like, I still don't think it's Kentucky, and UK's been down that road with many players, especially players that have ended up at Duke, like Jalen Johnson this year, UK being his dream school. Mm-hmm. And I don't – I think that UK is in a good position with Moses Sisse, you know, LSU is the perceived leader there. Jaden Hardy, the best shooter in the class, UK leads for him. And Frank uh, Kepnang is going to be named to – like we talked about earlier, he's going to be named to – keep in the back of your mind as well I mean think about that you just named I mean I know I know Baldwin is a is a heavy 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 do clean but you just named five guys that are consensus top 20 top 20 picks or top 20 recruits the UK is you know a lot of times in the past Kentucky has kind of laid the foundational pieces with with a few key guys but it seems like they are just hitting the ground running on this class, kind of like what they did for for 2020. And look, I mean, look what it what it did for them um, by by just kind of hitting the ground running and, and laying those those huge foundational pieces and, and trying to get them in place early so you can focus on the big names and 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 swing for swing for the fences elsewhere. So yeah, I mean, shoot, as as excited as we are about 2020 right now, uh, look ahead to 2021. Things are going to be very very impressive there. Um, Travis, uh, real quick, uh, tell, tell fans where to, where they can find your work. You can find me on Twitter at Trav underscore graph. You can find my work alongside David Sisk at Cats Illustrated on the Rivals Network. And you can find my other podcast, which we're going to have another great guest on later this week or early next week. It's called the Cat Scan Podcast with a K. You can find it on Twitter at Cat Scan Pod also with a K. Perfect. Well, I appreciate you jumping on with me, um, and we will have you back on next week as our as our regular co-host. I, I appreciate you, buddy. Yep, thank you. All right, and we are now joined by our other co-host, or our, uh, our usual co-host, David Sisk of CatsIllustrated.com. Uh, like I said before, we're, we're doing things a little bit differently, so... Um, David, the, the the floor is yours tonight. It, it's it's just just you and me right now. So uh, real quickly, David, um, you know, first off, how are you doing today? How are you doing tonight? Well, we're making a little bit hoarse that time of year, but uh, we'll make it. I hope everybody can tolerate the boys tonight. Well, let me let me be the first to tell you, David has been coaching his butt off tonight. Uh, the, you know, it is at the time of this recording, it is ten fifty four p.m. Uh, he has been coaching JV and uh, varsity basketball tonight, so uh, he he has every reason to have a little bit of a of a hoarse voice. But uh, as I mentioned in the previous segment. Both, you know, all three of us, you know, we've we've really tried to hit the ground running on this Greg Brown recruitment and and uh, kind of be the, 
um, you know, get as much information from as many people as we could possibly talk to. Uh, so I wanted to really give you the opportunity to just kind of tell me who you've talked to about this about this recruitment and uh, where things stand. And the big name is none other than Greg Brown's dad. So tell me, you know, what are your overall thoughts on that conversation you had with with Greg Brown Sr. and uh, uh, what your thoughts are since then? I uh, spoke with him. Um, let's see, what's the day? Tuesday, we, uh, Monday, lose the track of days. Um, spoke with him um, yesterday afternoon. Um, and, you know, re- you got it. I enjoy talking to. Um, let, let me say that first of all. Um, he, um, I feel like he's, he, he's very forthcoming. Um, he's a good interviewer, um, um, well spoken. Uh, opens up now he he he's not going to obviously tell you everything that that uh, he knows but uh, he'll give a lot of information um now uh, as far as the recruitment goes um obviously you know we enjoyed the visit um he said the thing that really um that he really uh was surprised about morning or eye opening, I should say. Eye opening was that just basically how John Calipari um, deals with his players. Uh, and he said, coming in, and I quote, you know, I thought he was uh, just a hard ass, mm-hmm. but he said, I see why he does it. And he gives players chances over and over and over and over. And that's you know, what I didn't realize. He said he gives them so many chances to do it right. And then, you know, one day don't. And, you know, he, he said, basically, it's okay. I'm going to tell you to do it. You don't want to do it. Don't ever sit by me. Yeah. So, uh, and, and he said, well, he, well, he understood how Kentucky players made it in the NBA the way they did because the NBA would almost be easy after, you know, the state of Kentucky. And he was very complimentary the way he said it because he was like, you know, I think that's the way it needs to be. Yeah. Uh, he called Calipari old school. He calls himself old school. Uh, so a, a very, a very good visit. Uh, enjoyed the atmosphere, enjoyed the game. Um, and, and like I said, I, I think more than anything, it was just eye-opening to him uh, about seeing it up firsthand how John Calipari runs the program, how he runs practices, how he runs the game, and the method behind the madness. Um, now, I know after we put the story up, we've had some readers on our board that have kind of read between the lines. And, he, you know, and, and what I mean by that, uh, Mr. Brown said, you know, you hear things about Kentucky, uh, the, you know, the way they do, which sounded like, and I don't know if it was the fact, but kind of sounded like maybe there had been some negative recruiting yeah. from other places. And that's what some of the uh, our readers at Cats Illustrated on the, on the, in the House of Blue kind of put together that they feel like that's been the case. And, you know, Kentucky had the opportunity to, to put the best foot forward this weekend and, and, and just let them see what they're all about. Now, I know – um, in the in the days, I, I guess it, it even happened, uh, might have even happened on the visit, but Kentucky actually received a crystal ball pick 
um, for Greg Brown. Uh, it was from a, a, a Duke insider. Um, I know when of all people, yeah, of all people, no kidding. I know when you first texted Travis and I that you had talked to Greg to Greg Brown's father without telling us what the conversation, you know, how it unfolded and all that. You said specifically um, that, and I'm going back to check the message right now to be certain, but you said. Um, very complimentary, nothing to convince me he's going to Kentucky yet. So what do you think is the disconnect with the, with the fact that there is Kentucky buzz? Um, you know, one person was even willing to put in a crystal ball pick, but that you, that you came away not as optimistic that Kentucky was able to uh, do enough to, to kind of make up that lost ground. Uh, I don't, I wouldn't say that, um, it's a disconnect yet. Okay. Um, all I'm saying is, is basically, you, you know, I guess here's what I'm basing it on. You know, when you talk, uh, we've done it. You talk to a kid or you talk to a parent and you're like, this guy's going to Kentucky. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, that wasn't the case. Now, very complimentary. And that's why I said they had a nice visit. But, you know, he basically said this. Um, it's wide open, and I believe it. Uh, and I guess maybe I had preconceived notions going in that, um, you know, that if, if he really liked Kentucky, then he might say something like, hey, they're the leader or something yeah. like that. Because and here's the reason I'm basing it on. Early on, it was Texas, and then, you know, Corey came up last week and said he thought Memphis was the leader now. And it appears that, you know, they really like places that they visit and those, those, you know, they have a lot of influence on them. So maybe unfairly expected, I don't know, bells and whistles um, that, that maybe didn't come to that extent, but let me say this. And I think this is big. Um, I like the fact that he um, – trying to get my thoughts here. Um, uh, I like the fact that uh, they said it was wide open. Mm-hmm. And I re- and that's the thing I really believe. Right. And a couple of, let's say, weeks ago, I would have said, you know, they really don't have much of a chance, no. Okay. And now I'm, I think, yes, they do. So I, I think maybe their chances are as good as anybody else. And now compare that. Um, Corey Evans had an article up this morning on Twitter Tuesday. He was asked about Greg Brown. And he said, uh, and this is not a direct quote, but yeah. basically that Kentucky made major inroads over the weekend. So I, 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 I'll put it this way. I don't think, like I said, there's not a disconnect, but I think they're in better shape than I would have ever thought before. Now that that doesn't mean they're the leader, but they're they're in the ball game. And let me say this too. He, I think here's the most factual thing. He said that it would be they would really sit down like after the high school season and then Final Four weekend and all that. I think it's going to be well up in the spring mm-hmm. because here's what they've got to do. I think they're going to take these programs. It's wide open. They're going to do. They're, they're going to look at at at, at two things. Number one, the relationship I think they have with coaches. They say that that's big, that they are in the fit. 
But he said this, we are going to look at who's coming back player-wise. And I think that's a big big issue. I think that is the biggest issue. And so, like I said, you really, that's one reason I'm saying I can't tell now because we don't know what these rosters for Texas, Auburn, Michigan, uh, Kentucky, and uh, Memphis are going to look like uh, in, in March and April. So I, I, I think that's the big thing. And then, you know, guys like, do you look, will Shaka Smart? Will guys like that be back? Yeah. So I, I think there's a lot of water uh, still to go under that bridge before we dock. Yeah, I think, I mean, you bring up a really good point. And if we are factoring that in, you'd think that Kentucky would be, you know, in the best position out of out of all those guys because – they are expected to lose Nick Richards. They are going to lose Nate Sestina, and by the looks of it, I mean, I know he's not playing all that great right now, but E.J. Montgomery went into the season expecting to leave at the end. So with a clean slate in the front court, Greg Brown is not afraid of a guy like Isaiah Jackson. I mean, I know I know they're close and, and uh, you know, all of that, but, but he's not going to be afraid of a guy like Isaiah Jackson. He's not going to be and afraid. And I don't see why they shouldn't be able to play together. I mean, right, yeah. You- and think about this. We've talked about post-injuries, but Sustina gets hurt, and we're like, man, they're going to have to slide Keon Brooks down there, and they're yeah. going to have to slide you know, um, um, Khalil Whitney or, or somebody else because you know, two posts are really not enough. Somebody gets in foul trouble, and you've got to rest us, but if somebody gets in foul trouble, and you've got two bigs, man, you're, you're, you're exposed. Yeah. So, um, I, I, like I said, I mean, he's not afraid of him. Obviously, you're right. I mean, he's an alpha. But, uh, I mean, I, I certainly see no reason why they can't uh, do well together. And, you know, and, and speaking of that, you know, Cameron Fletcher, from what we understand, is like a full-blown 6'9 now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, you may be looking at another guy. You know, you slide down to the four. But I, I think, too, I'm talking to Mr. Brown. They really feel like Greg's versatile, so he's more in a post player. I feel like they could slide him out. He could. He's a true positionless guy that that he could uh, even play the three. His dad called him a utility player. and does a lot of things. So I feel I. You know, he says he's a big guy that moves like a small guy. So I I think that's a big thing too. I don't think he wants to go somewhere where he, he's pigeonholed. You know, in the paint. Yeah. And in the block, so I, I think I think they're looking at it, you know, uh, what they like to have uh, a, a really versatile package. Yeah, I think we've we've talked in the past, and I know um, when we talked to Greg Brown's coach a couple weeks back, how um, you know they they are very interested in going to a place that that would would allow him to kind of unlock those those guard guard skills that he has and, and, and actually utilize them. Um, and I know Calipari, we, we've talked on this podcast before that Calipari is wanting to go back to his, you know, kind of, a, a, you know, a posi- you know, he, we talk about positionless all the time, but in an ideal world, Calipari fields a team of five guys that can grab a rebound and, and, and go coast to coast with it and finish at the rim. That is exactly what the, you know, the, the exact kind of offense that Greg Brown is hoping to, to be a part of 
and uh, and you know by the, by the sounds by the sounds of things based on and on your conversation with his father and and um, you know what we know from from what Calipari is kind of hoping to go to moving forward with his positionless you know whoever grabs a rebound goes you know you know four out five out however he wants to however he wants to do it um, it seems like they are a good match for one another um, to put it lightly um, Kentucky needs needs bigs next year. Um, he wants a, a kind of a star role wherever he goes. Um, you know, I, I think I think they're a good match. It's just about how much ground they can make up um, in in these last couple months before he makes his his final decision. Uh, David, I want to close with this. There was one quote in particular um, that kind of caught me caught me off guard a little bit, and it was it was him talking of it was uh, Greg Brown Senior talking about playing with Cade Cunningham on the AAU circuit and mm. kind of how he was a ball-dominant player and, and didn't say that he didn't like playing with Cade because, I mean, obviously they they played really well together. They You know, he put up a, a, you know, a million highlight reel plays and, and impressive stats. But did, did that kind of, you know, rub you a certain way, uh, specifically, you know, regarding what school could potentially land a guy like Greg Brown? If, if he doesn't want to play with a ball <coughs> – if he doesn't want to play with a ball-dominant point guard, is he looking for a guy like, oh, I don't know, say Devin Askew, who is a known as a, you know, floor general – facilitator type guy that is you know he's a catch and shoot type guy he's not going to dribble the air out of the basketball he's going to be a type of guy that that is going to look to pass first does that help Kentucky's chances after after your conversation with him um did did was that a positive thing for Kentucky or do you think I'm reading into that too much no if you want to play on a team where the ball moves I mean Kentucky's the, the, the really the kind of team I mean you can think of the great players that Kentucky's had, but John Calipari has never really based it too much on one guy, you know, getting a, 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 a you know, a, just a astronomical amount of shots. Um, probably the one that I would think of more than anybody would be Jamal Murray. Yeah. Uh, but that was a little different thing. I mean, Jamal, that was just a deal where the roster, there weren't any Greg Browns out there with him. And, uh, it, it was like, you know, that roster was going to go as far as the ball and carry them. Yeah. And uh, so, but, I mean, you look at last year and you look at this year, I mean, the offense is really spread, and you can really tell, even from a shooting and scoring standpoint, what everybody's role is. And um, so I think, uh, yeah, that, that could help Kentucky. And, yes, it was noticeable when he said that. Uh, I was like, whoa, and yeah, first thing I thought was Kane Cunningham. I mean, everybody did. Yeah. Um, but he, he said, too, it wasn't like, you know, he was like, hey, that's okay. Uh, you know, Greg still got 20 and 10, but, you know, we want to we wanna be um, somewhere where, uh, you know, where, where, where the ball is going to move and, you know, and, and, and everybody gets opportunities. And, and let me say this, too. In AAU, especially when you got a top guard in the country, I don't know how many people go that's listening have went out and watched big time EYBL or, or AAU basketball, but uh, it is a guard centric uh, game where you're going to have one or two guys taking the majority of shots, and 
you know, people look at AAU numbers and they'll look at a big and they'll go, God, just call me average. Yeah. I don't know, eight, nine points. Mm-hmm. I'm like, look, I, you know, you do think it's kind of weird. He shot 65% and he yeah. averaged seven points a game yeah. uh, because they just don't get touches. Mm-hmm. And so I understand that. But, you know, the AAU and the college worlds is totally different, you know, set up. So, but, but like you say, when you do talk about that, that's one thing I see with Memphis. Memphis spreads it. And and they're just you know it's more it's, they just do a lot of spread it's like a one on five deal sometimes, and uh, you know Auburn uh, uh, they move the ball around a lot. I haven't watched Texas a ton, I, I, and I know they've had some low scores. Uh, I watch Michigan. Michigan's really not changed offense a lot since Beeline was there, mm-hmm. um, so they're going to move it. But yeah, I, I think you know Kentucky would fare as good as anybody in that kind of scenario. Yeah, and so real quick, uh, we'll get you out of here on this. Give me your very quick uh, uh, updated handicap on Greg Brown's recruitment. Who who is the favorite, and uh, where do you think he ultimately signs? I would still say if I had, uh, you know, if you stuck a gun to my head, I would say Texas just because uh, living in Austin, his, his dad and his uncle both played there. His dad told me that, he played uh, one year for John McAvick and three years for Mac Brown uh, was honorable mention all big 12. Uh, so, I mean, there, there's a, a history there, but um, you know, he said, you know, it's a, he said, there's going to be a lot of input from him from the circle, but it's going to come down to Greg's decision, uh, his son. So uh, I'll put it this way. I think Kentucky's right there. I think, I just don't think right now if anybody tells you, hey, this is exactly what they're going to do, I don't know how accurate that is because I think you've got to wait, like I said, until March and April. Let uh, uh, let them decide who's going, uh, who's leaving, who's uh, coming back, you know, who's coming in as recruits, what the rosters look like. And, and, and like I said, even with Texas, like even a coaching decision, I think if Shaka Smart got fired – or you know that 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 would be a big deal breaker on, on that part. So, uh, you know, we've even heard some uh, you know things flying around at Memphis, and I don't know what's yeah. true and what's not. So, um, you know, I, I could tell you, we'll, we'll see. But I think Kentucky's got a good shot as anybody. Well, David, I appreciate you ju- uh, jumping on with me late on this uh, Tuesday evening, and uh, um, I hope your hope your voice gets better. <laughs> well, actually, it's more. I think it's a little bit of bronchitis more than anything. So I started coming down with it yesterday. So it'll 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 run its course, I'm sure. Well, I if not if not, uh, if not uh, I'll name you and Travis and my beneficiaries. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you get better, uh, David. Real quick, uh, tell tell fans where they can find your work. Uh, Coach David Sisk at Twitter and at Cats Illustrated on the Rivals Network. All right, buddy. Well, I appreciate you jumping on with me, and I uh, look forward to talking you talking to you next week. Hopefully, hopefully you're better by then. All right, thanks, buddy. All right, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.